Hello and welcome to the Top Story, a podcast with headlines of the day from our correspondents around the world. I'm Tian Yu. Coming up in this edition, the Israeli Defense Minister says Israeli forces have fought into the heart of Gaza City. The 2023 World Internet Conference Wuhan Summit has kicked off in China, and UN peacekeepers have launched a joint security operation with government forces in the Democratic Republic of Congo to reinforce the country's security. We start in the Middle East. Defense Minister Yoav Gallant says Israeli forces have advanced into the heart of Gaza City as the conflict enters the second month. Gallant says the troops and tanks have one target, Hamas, and they have isolated the group's most senior leader in Gaza in his bunker. On Wednesday, Israeli forces sought to locate and disable the militants' underground tunnel network. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says Israel will bear the overall security responsibility in Gaza for an. Indefinite period after the conflict ends, the White House has reiterated that President Joe Biden does not support an Israeli reoccupation of the Gaza Strip after the conflict. Meanwhile, the United Nations says the conflict has killed 89 of its aid workers. The World Health Organization has reported over 160 deaths. Sam Metnick reports from Jerusalem. Tuesday marks one month of the war between Israel and Hamas, and Israel said that its troops are in the depths of Gaza City. This is an escalation in the conflict. Israel considers Gaza City to be the epicenter of Hamas's operations and where its key infrastructure is. On Tuesday, Israel says it overtook a Hamas stronghold where it found anti-tank missiles as well as weapons and intelligence information. Israel also said on Tuesday it located a building where Hamas militants had barricaded themselves inside and were. Using it to launch attacks into Israel. Israel struck that building. There was a secondary large explosion, which Israel said meant that there was a heavy presence of weapons. Now, Israel is telling people to move from the north of Gaza into the south. However, people in Gaza say they are still being struck in the south. In the towns of Kanunis as well as Rafa, residents said that there were strikes on Tuesday. I spoke to one man named Motaz. He said he was sitting in his car with his niece when he heard a loud explosion in Rafa city. He said residents came towards his car. They were injured. One man was heavily bleeding from his head, and they asked him to take him to the hospital because there were no ambulances. Aid groups are having a very hard time getting assistance into Gaza, particularly fuel. There's a shortage of fuel for the ambulances as well as the hospitals. On the Israeli side, on Tuesday to mark 30 days of the war. People held moments of silence for the victims as well as the hostages. More than 1,400 people were killed when Hamas attacked on October 7th and took 240 hostages into Gaza. There were memorials held in Tel Aviv as well as Jerusalem. Meanwhile, Netanyahu, for the first time on Monday, said in an interview with ABC News that Israel will take overall security responsibility for Gaza when the war is over. He also said that people in Gaza deserved. Leaders who thought differently than Hamas. Now, while Netanyahu has said the goal of the operation is to eradicate Hamas, he hasn't stated before what the, is going to happen after the war. So these comments are the first time where he's clearly said what he is thinking moving forward. While he didn't spell out the exact plans, the common denominator seems to be that they're going to eradicate Hamas, demilitarize Gaza, and de-radicalize Gaza. This is according to Israel. Netanyahu also said in this interview that he was open to small humanitarian pauses in order to try and alleviate the catastrophic humanitarian situation in Gaza. 
More than 10,000 people have been killed, according to the Ministry of Health, which is run by Hamas. A million and a half people have been internally displaced. On Tuesday, the United Nations Human Rights Chief, Volker Turk, started a five-day mission to the region. Turk has said that the violation of human rights is one of the root causes of the escalation of this violence and that human rights is going to play a key role in de-escalating the crisis. That was Samatnik in Jerusalem. The United Nations says hundreds of thousands of Palestinians are struggling to survive. They are depending on aid conveyed through the vital Rafa border crossing from Egypt. But it's far from enough. Yasser Hakim has been at the crossing since the outbreak of the violence and has more details. With Gaza under blockade, the Rafah border crossing is the enclave's only link to the outside world. It provides a lifeline to the stricken Palestinians as the conflict with Israel intensifies and the number of casualties and sick continues to increase. An inflow of badly needed aid from around the world was queuing up at the border for weeks before Israel allowed some of it to cross on October 21st. On November 1st, Cairo, Doha and Tel Aviv struck another deal to allow for the evacuation to Egypt of foreigners and dual nationals stranded in Gaza. Egypt has begun receiving injured Palestinians who are being treated in hospitals around the country, many needing immediate assistance. With more people crossing the border now, relief efforts have been intensifying. But there was a setback just a couple of days before the end of the first month. An Israeli airstrike on a convoy of ambulances carrying casualties to the Egyptian Rafah border crossing to be treated in Egyptian hospitals has led to the closure temporarily of the Rafah border. This attack infuriated Egyptian officials who have refuted Israeli claims the ambulances were carrying Hamas operatives. At the time this report was filed on November 6th, a three-day standoff has put all humanitarian activities at the border crossing on hold. Arab countries are calling on Israel to activate a ceasefire and allow for the safe passage of wounded Palestinians. According to figures released by the Red Crescent Society and the Gaza government, by November 6th, a total of 6,705 tons of aid had been sent from around the world to Al-Arish and Rafah. 1,074 foreigners had been evacuated through the Rafah border crossing out of a possible 7,000, and 84 injured Palestinians from Gaza were receiving treatment in Egyptian hospitals. It's been about a month since the outbreak of the conflict, but with the developments so far and statements from officials in Israel and the West, it seems that we will be bracing for a few more months of this war. That was Yasser Hakim reporting. Turning to China, the 2023 World Internet Conference Wujian Summit is underway in eastern China. Chinese President Xi Jinping addressed the conference via video link. He called for efforts to build a more inclusive and prosperous cyberspace, stressing that the Internet is increasingly becoming a new driving force for development. The Chinese president also urged deeper international exchanges and cooperation in the digital field. Wang Mengjie has more. The internet has become a new vitality and platform for the development and the cultural exchanges. President Xi pointed out that uh, the uh, development of the internet is the uh, choice of the international community and is also to the times of the right now. And he uh, called for the deep and cooperation and the practical uh, exchanges uh, so as to further uh, jointly promote the building of a community of a shared future in cyberspace into a new 
new LIVO, uh, marking the 10th anniversary since the inception in 2014. This year's Wuzhen Summit uh, has invited representatives worldwide to share their ideas and experiences on the internet, global internet governance and development. I uh, figured out some uh, new lines from this year's Wuzhen Summit. For example, there will be about 20 sub-forums which will be held during the event and in order to stress the significance of the younger generation, uh, the Wuzhen Summit has newly established a uh, global youth uh, leadership program. So I think the Wuzhen uh, Summit aims to inspire the uh, new trends of technology and the, uh, all the uh, staffs that to uh, bring the uh, international community to, um, to uh, looking forward to the new trends of the digitization, the networking, and the including the intelligence, uh, artificial intelligence. That was Wang Mengjie reporting. Staying in China, around 150 guests from more than 30 countries are gathered in Beijing to discuss issues concerning communication among civilizations and global development. The Inter-Civilizational Communication and Global Development Forum will run for three days with the theme Tradition of Civilization and Paths to Modernization. John Thornton is the Chair Emeritus of the Brookings Institution. He says people need a better way of looking at their collective future. During an interview with Gao Yingshu, he said personal experience is important for boosting mutual understanding between ordinary people from different countries. In your opinion, what key lessons can we draw from historical interactions to enhance those inter-civilizational communication in the modern context? Well, I think the interesting question that, that came up in my mind is, I think what China is proposing is admirable, aspirational, even inspirational, but also extremely difficult to achieve. So I think all of us should applaud China for what it's trying to do, and we should then watch to see whether China does what it says it's going to do. And if it does, we should applaud more. And I think every country in the world should join in this effort, because if if one could achieve it, it would be a real step forward for mankind. And we all know we could use it, because as the world gets smaller and more complicated, um, we do need a kind of better way of looking at uh, our collective future, because it becomes increasingly obvious that our future is collective. In recent years, we've seen the populism and backwind of deglobalization. How we should deal with those kinds of issues? Well, the way I look at the populism, at least in my country, uh, I, I think I understand it. And it's, it's uh, rational. It's not irrational. Uh, many ordinary Americans feel, with good reason, that the leaders of the, co- of the country have used the system for their benefit at the expense of ordinary people. And when I say leaders, I'm not talking just about political leaders. I'm talking about leaders of all, of all, kind, of all institutions. And I think that that's broadly correct. Then to make matters worse, many of those ordinary Americans have not done well economically. And then to make matters worse, many of those ordinary Americans are the ones who have been asked to send their sons and daughters off to wars that they don't understand and don't necessarily agree with. And many of those sons and daughters have come back either dead or maimed, or they can't get a job, and they become drug addicts. And so there's a lot, a lot of anger. And that anger is not going away soon. So my point of all that is, I think until that anger is addressed, and until leaders are responsive to the people, until that happens, you're not going to be in a sufficiently healthy state to have an intelligent inter-civilizational conversation. And how do you see the future of inter-civilizational communication evolving between those two powers, and how we could reach a source of a mutual understanding between China and the United States? Well, the first thing I would say is that, again, looking at it through, through American eyes, 
I would say that the average level of understanding on the part of ordinary Americans about China is very, very low, and that has to be addressed. By the way, not just with China, but with other countries as well. This morning, I cited a survey done recently by Frank Luntz, and Frank, looking at the survey data, his, his recommendation to the Chinese leadership was, you should adopt a massive initiative on tourism and get as many Americans to China as you possibly can, because nothing beats personal experience. Uh, nothing beats it. And he, he himself feels that way about his own experience. And, I, and, and, I, and he's right, uh, because no amount of talking, no amount of reading books, no amount of reading newspapers, no amount of television can, you, can substitute personal interaction. That was Gao Yingxu speaking to John Thornton, the chair emeritus of the Brookings Institution. Finally, in Africa, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, UN peacekeepers have launched a joint security operation with government troops to reinforce security in the eastern part of the country. The operation is targeting the city of Goma, which is facing threats from several armed groups. Chan Mongorno reports. A renewed effort to fight the enemy. It's a new joint operation named Springbok by the UN peacekeeping mission in the country, MONUSCO, and DRC national troops. The mission, which aims to eliminate notorious militia in the hilly terrains of Sake, has already established several fresh defensive positions, deploying heavily armed troops with UN armed vehicles. As I was telling to my good friend here, we have a full commitment with the protection of the citizens from DRC and all soldiers that are deployed here. They are here outside our bases because they are ready to die, if necessary, to protect to the population from this country. The regions of Goma and Sake in the eastern part of the country are under constant attacks from competing armed groups. Local militia known as Wazalendo and the M23 rebels have been clashing in this area and civilians are being caught up in the violence. The UN forces say they are committed to safeguarding the region. The DRC had called for MONUSCO to leave, but now it's getting behind its security partner in a new mission. Securing Goma will be no easy task, however, and locals are getting impatient. They criticize the UN for failing to bring peace to the country. Goma has been under permanent threat for some time now, so now is not the time for MONUSCO to redeem itself or regain the trust of the population. MONUSCO has been here for over 20 years and has not been able to solve the security problems of the Congolese people. MONUSCO is one of the UN's largest and most costly peacekeeping missions. 14,000 peacekeepers have been present in the country since 1999. But militia violence has nonetheless continued to plague the East. The M23 launched an offensive in 2021, capturing swaths of territory in eastern DRC and displacing over 1 million people. That was Char Mungono reporting. Recapping today's headlines. The Israeli Defense Minister says Israeli forces have fought into the heart of Gaza City. The 2023 World Internet Conference Ujin Summit has kicked off in China. And UN peacekeepers have launched a joint security operation with government forces in the Democratic Republic of Congo to reinforce the country's security. 
And that's it for this edition of the Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports, and culture, you can subscribe to the Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Tian Yu. Thank you for listening.